It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says whip your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Reliving the War. My name is Nims Azul, joined as always by my co-host Simon Tackler. We are well into 1997. I'll be honest, Simon, I'm really impressed with what I've seen so far. Even though we absolutely slammed NWO sold out, you kind of have to give it a lot of praise because WCW clearly thought, you know what, We've, we're so far in front, we can try something new. They did, it didn't work. So they thought, oh, well, we'll just go back to the well for the same thing and just have a normal pay-per-view next time around. But that's where we are now. It's an exciting time in pro wrestling in 1997 because I think from 1992 to this point, wrestling is in a slump. Hmm. Arguably the worst period of the WWF. WCW is finding its footing as a company and there's some really bad stuff. But by 97, the NWO is rolling. WCW is taking off. Like you said, in January, yeah, they tried sold out, but we also saw the WWE run a show in a stadium. Yes. Do the Royal Rumble from the Alamo Dome. So we see both companies trying to outdo each other with innovative and new and different ideas. WWF even had guys from AAA in there. That's right. We saw, uh, who was it, Mil Mascaris just eliminate himself and jump out of the ring. Like, haven't seen that before. So it's a a new world of wrestling. Uh, We saw the final four pay-per-view which had that brawl at the end, that main event where there's blood and Vader's bleeding and Brett becomes champ again. A crazy pay-per-view, a really fun main event. Now it's WCW's turn to retaliate. And as we said at the end of that Final Four show, neither of us could remember Super Brawl from 97. No, no. We had no idea what was going to be on this show. All I said was that I think it's good because I'm pretty sure 1997 WCW pay-per-views are good. Yep. And I think I was proven right. I think you were proven right too. And it's funny because we start off Super Bowl 7 with a weird video package of Rowdy Roddy Piper leaving Alcatraz. Doesn't escape because the guards just do nothing within their power to stop him from leaving. But he spends seven days in Alcatraz and ends up being like a lunatic. Yeah, so if you didn't watch Nitro at the time to plan and prepare for his rematch with Hulk Hogan after losing at Starcade. Roddy Piper locked himself in Alcatraz for a week. And I know Alcatraz has the sort of, you know, the legend and sort of the mystique of being the world's most dangerous prison. It was a tourist attraction from 1973. (laughs) So essentially, this would be like going to Sovereign Hill and Roddy Piper is in the jail. (laughs) Just staying there for for seven days. But Welcome to ye old Alcatraz and just Roddy Piper's in there. But the best part about it was he's acting like a lunatic. This is literally (laughs) like he's in the Shawshank Redemption. That's how bad he's treating it. But you know what? It was still pretty cool. It was something different and that's what Roddy Roddy Piper did. He did stuff outside the box. But... This is a sold-out show at Super Bowl. 
it is to the rafters. There are that many people there. And one thing that I absolutely loved about these WCW crowds is they are hot. They don't care about like five-star matches. They don't care about all of this sort of stuff. They're just happy to be there. They're chanting like hicks. But the energy you get from a live crowd, and you would have seen it on the episodes of Nitro you've watched, it always feels like a big deal. I've always wondered from uh, wrestling shows from like the 90s all the way back to the 80s, I've always thought, are they messing around with the sound? Why are these crowds so into everything? Yeah. No, I think they just love everything. They just love it, yeah. If this was modern times and we saw that same Roddy Piper video play, let's say on an episode of TNA from like the mid-2000s, there would have been Chance of Fire Russo or, yeah. or whoever. We would have all been making fun of it. But they saw that video and just went crazy for the start of the show. Yeah, that amped them up. We're happy for this. And you start off the show with a really good match too. This is a Cruiserweight title, as is the... Um, it sort of seems to be the formula. They always start off with a hot Cruiserweight match. Six, he's been stealing belts left, right and centre. That seems to be the sort of his MO when it comes to the NWO. He's stolen the Cruiserweight title belt and... The thing that I, the first thing I picked up in watching this match, Dean Malenko versus Six. First off, in the crowd, there is a New World Oda sign. Oh, no. So That means uh, Zabisco's taunting is working. So Zabisco's taunts of New World Order, New World Order is actually working. But Tony Schiavone actually welcomes Australians watching the pay per view. Yes, I took note of that too. The first pay per view telecast for WCW in Australia. Maybe that's why we can't remember it because. Our parents probably didn't want to fork over the forty nine dollars to, <laughs> to, to pay for a WCW pay per view back in the Look, day. Look, I know you've never heard of WCW, but it's their first show. Let me order it. Yeah, <laughs> could explain it. But uh, look, Tony Schiavone does welcome the Australians watching on pay per view. But this match starts off. Dean Malenko, as we've said, he's the MVP of the cruiserweight division. He dominates this match. Yeah, he killed it in '96, and he's got a great opponent here in six. They've got history. Mm -hmm. um, Dean's dad trained. Sean Waltman, so you've got some familiarity there. Pretty crazy. And, man, these guys had great chemistry. I don't know, again, we mentioned it a lot, but Sean Waltman doesn't get the credit uh, sometimes from a certain segment of fans as he deserves, but, man, he can hang with guys like Malenko and everyone else in that division at the time. He's pulling out Bronco Busters. There is, like you said, great psychology from 6-2. He works on the neck. Uh, Bobby the Brain and Dusty also debate which neck impact moves Six should use because it's just like, hey, look, he should maybe go for a neck breaker, do this, do that. But there is a great line here where I can't remember who it is says, I think Bobby the Brain says, this is like watching two Amtraks running into each other. And then Dusty Rhodes go, yeah, they like ran into each other like two freight trains. And then he's like, Amtrak is a train. <laughs> and then they both have a huge debate over <laughs> over what an Amtrak is. And Tony Schiavone is doing his absolute best to try get the conversation back on track. And just sounds like he wants to kill Dusty Road and say, just shut up and watch the match. It's awesome. That's almost my other favorite part of WCW uh, pay-per-views. You can say what you want about their commentary team. It's almost like a separate show <laughs> because there are times when they go off track, but it's great. It's like this, yeah... It's almost like, you know, different levels to watching it. You know, sort of like Arrested Development, how there's the jokes, but then there's the narrator's jokes. Yeah. You can watch WCW pay-per-views multiple times and get different things out of it. You, you certainly can too. And then we see Eddie Guerrero make an appearance because he comes in to try and steal the belt. Uh, the One thing that I don't know whether I've missed this, but um, 
Bobby the Brain Heenan keeps calling him La Bamba. Is that just because of his Hispanic heritage? And I'm... Yeah, I was trying to pick the timeline because the movie La Bamba would have been out in the late 80s, yeah. I'm pretty sure. But, you know, wrestling's always behind with pop culture references. <laughs> so Bobby Heenan must have just seen La Bamba on TV. Yeah, or he's, it's, just, it's just been... It was the movie on uh, before Nitro on TNT. <laughs> Probably, that makes sense. But my theory was this was uh, Heenan trying to come up with a modern version of when Ventura would always call Tito Santana Chico, yes. which was a 70s reference to the TV show Chico and the Man. Yep. So the timeline works. So Jesse Ventura with a decade-old reference and Bobby Heenan here with a decade-old <laughs> reference. All clears out. But yeah, this ends with Eddie coming in to steal the title. So he's mm. trying to assist Dean Malenka here. Fails completely. You've got a belt shot to the head. And we've established in WCW, those title belts are made out of cinder blocks because anytime a belt goes near a head, they are out. Yeah, it just killed him. Once that belt touches your skull, you are gone. <laughs> and Eddie with the uh, accidental assist there for six. And uh, at one point, though... Dean Malenko is drowsy. Maybe it's after he gets knocked out with the belt. But anyway, Dream says he's looking drawsy. And he says it like three times before the other commentators pick up on it. And they're like, drawsy? And it's like, yeah, you know, when you wake up tired and you're drawsy. And they're like, do you mean drowsy? (laughs) And he's like, that's what I said. It's just... Dusty Rhodes commentary is wild. As you said, Dusty Rhodes on the commentary box just seems like first off, he doesn't seem to have read the <laughs> memo for wardrobe and because <laughs> he just wears whatever he wants and he just says whatever he wants to say. But uh, we then go next to another mean gene segment. He's got a plug for his hotline and he interviews DDP. We mentioned this last time around, but DDP, he's reached the full form of DDP now. This is the DDP we know and love. Yeah, he's got one of his iconic DDP t-shirts on, which the commentary team mentions is the first DDP t-shirt. So with that outfit, we're pretty much good to go. This Mm. is 99.97% the DDP we all know and love. There's just a couple of things. Well, if that's the case, uh, he'll... All he needs, if he had the taped up ribs... Oh, taped up ribs. Then he's well on his way to being the DDP now, that we know and love. I want to talk about Mean Gene here in this segment, though. Because, as you said, he spruiks the hotline and he says, Oh, earlier this morning at one of the hotels, I saw the NWO having breakfast with a member of the WCW roster to find out who it is, call the hotline. This is a hostile takeover, Gene. These people are trying to, you know, ruin the show and beat people up and injure them. If you've got the info, don't charge me five ninety nine. Just tell the other guys. Mean Gene seems to be the guy that's in like World War Two, where he'd be like, "I saw Winston Churchill having a me- he was eating breakfast with a Nazi. Which Nazi? <laughs> Call me and I'll tell you which one." Just end it. Yeah, he could help everyone. I thought. That was bad. He put money ahead of WCW. Yeah, poor form there from Mean Gene. We get into our next match, which is a, a six-way. Is this a six a six-man match or a three-on-three? Three-on-three. Uh, three-on-three, three three, yeah. The trios match. Trios, that's right. So you got Conan, La Parker, and Villano 6, or Villano 6, versus Juventud Guerrero, Ciclope, and Super Calo. Super Calo makes a return. I like it. <laughs> he's not just Calo, he's Super Calo. Now, the best part here is Tony and Dusty Rhodes claim that Australians have never seen a trios match. And the fact that I struggled at the start to, to distinguish between if this is a six-man match or mm. a three-on-three might back up their, their claim here. But I just love how budget 
they look. Although, but shout out to Bobby Heenan though, showing his um, you know, knowledge of wrestling and he's not just this gimmicky um sort of color commentator guy. He says, "No, tag team wrestling was invented in Australia." Mm. That's why it was called an Australian tag team rules match. And he mentions that and they're like, "Uh, oh, shut up." I did <laughs> you know? not know that. There you go. So, but he also has a great line though, where he says, "Oh, you know, because they they mentioned they've all been to Australia, and he says, oh, Australia, the only place in the world you can't throw away a boomerang.' Oh. And I don't think anyone picked up on it. They gave him nothing. But anyway, <laughs> it's such a strange, strange little bit of commentary. How they always try to try and force feed as much Australian references in yeah. as they could. But the thing is, though, like I remember being a kid back then. Anytime someone mentioned Australia, you popped so yeah, hard. Like, know, talking about us. <laughs> My <laughs> ears still. They freaked up during this pay per view. It's, it's like anytime I remember during because the NBA was so big back then. Hmm. When you'd see and this and today's T uh, NBA on NBC game is being seen around the world in like such and such and Australia on Network Ten and you'd be like, hey, hey, I am watching you. I yeah. am watching you on Network Ten. Thank you, NBA. But uh, the thing about this match I don't quite like is these guys look so budget and backyard wrestler like. Oh, They're some of their outfits too. are garbage. I mean, it is sloppy. sloppy. They, these Mexican wrestlers, they are so, so sloppy. But um, I had a similar note because I said that after watching a decade of strong style wrestling here in, you know, basically mainstream wrestling, it's all yep. become the same thing. The Ring of Honor style, the New Japan style is very crisp. Everything's perfect and hard hitting. And there's a real focus on making it look really, really good. Watching a lucha match... Makes no sense. Yeah. Half of the things look like they don't hurt. You clearly see them just stop multiple times and talk to each other and be like, now I'm going to throw you and now you do this. Yes. I don't speak Spanish and I know you're telling the guy <laughs> what to do. It it looks too fake. And there is and this is the promotion with Hulk Hogan main events. And yes. as we've mentioned, look fake but are fun. This just looks yeah. like I can't buy into it at all. It looks a bit too much like a gymnastics show, unfortunately. But uh, look, it's it's not too bad. Uh, the the thing that I thought was pretty interesting was it then does it cut to um, audio is on I've written down here audio is on wcwwrestling.com and Stevie Ray is being explained to how to use a compact Presario laptop because it does a split screen because <laughs> it does a little weird cutaway doesn't it I missed that part of it I I'm honestly zoned out during parts of this match because you might be right because I didn't see that anywhere else because what happens is they go because they always have their little you know, cutaway segments to... Oh, and backstage, go on the website and you yeah. can do this like this. So Stevie Ray's using just one of those old school compact laptops. Then it goes back to the match and it's it's just so bizarre because there's things like surfboards randomly being done. It's almost like watching uh, when you'd have friends over playing a four-way match on NWO Revenge, WCW NWO Revenge and you're all doing your own thing. There's no real flow. No, and yeah, you're right, because it's like, it's all a mess because no one knows the controls, and then by fluke, someone button mashed and pulled off a surfboard. Yeah. yeah. Or a five-way surfboard, which they do here, and it looks so dumb, and no one looks like they're getting hurt at no, all. No. And I think Brain calls it the world's toughest club sandwich, <laughs> because they're all on top of each other. And then he even says, I think you can tell he's frustrated, at one point, they're all just diving at nothing. And he says, Tony, quick, I'll give you $1,000 if you can tell me who the legal man is. <laughs> it is so strange. It's a very odd match. Uh, there's a very, It's a very weird win as well by Conan. 
a uh, bit of confusion on the pin, but I think did Hoovy kicked out and the and the ref was like, the ref was I'm like, just oh, ending this I, damn I, I match. Don't care. The ref is like, look, we've we've had enough. You've done all your flips. Everyone's talked to each other. I haven't understood a word that has been going on, but we're just going to end it now. The so. biggest pop of the match, though, is as we've established through almost a year of doing the show. Crowds in the nineties love a few things and they love power bombs. Oh. Conan hits a power bomb and they go crazy. That's it. You don't have to flip out onto a chair. You don't have to do a hurricane runner. Hit a power bomb and they'll think you're the best. Go absolutely ballistic, and that is exactly what happened. But we move into our next match, which is Rey Mysterio versus Prince Iakea for the mm. TV title. Now, any new listeners or anyone that wasn't around during WCW's heyday and are wondering who the hell is Prince Iakea? Well, don't worry because you're not really missing much of the Prince Iakea run, and I can't wait till we get to 1999 when Vince Russo decides to call him the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea. But yeah. um, Dusty has Dusty's commentary is getting very, very, very weird at this point in time. It's inoffensive, but he just seems to have checked out after that previous <laughs> match. It's almost like he has to like sort of. Be dragged back. Come on, Dusty. We're, we're back to normal here. Yeah, you got to rein him in. Um, my mind was like Dusty Rhodes during this match, though. I was not paying attention because Prince Iakea, after watching Nitro's back and having to relive him, you know, twice in my lifetime, <laughs> I know what I'm in for. So I was like, not even Ray can get a good match out of Prince Iakea. And Ray Mysterio, one of the most consistent wrestlers of the past 30, 30 years, he can't do it. Well, to be fair... This it's not a bad match. It's just a very ordinary match. It felt like Ray was in there with a guy who was still in wrestling school. Yeah, like he yeah. was like, now you stand here and I'm going to flip on you. Like it, it no. just felt odd. I've Prince IK though, I think WCW had big plans for him. It felt like it. Uh, apparently he was like a third generation superstar. So I think maybe that might have been uh, the case. Yeah, I know of his dad. He was King Curtis Iakea, who the only modern thing he did, he was like that big fat guy in the Dungeon of Doom in some of those promos. But anyway. <laughs> the thing I, I did write down here, Prince Iakea does love a huge top rope Samoan drop. Uh, which seems to be the only thing he was doing. <laughs> but the match uh, pretty much is... It's a paint-by-numbers here. As you said, it's Rey Mysterio doing his absolute best to get a good match out of a guy that is probably undercooked. Like, yeah. there's a reason we don't... Re People have fond memories of, like, you know, Disco Inferno. They remember hmm. guys like Alex Wright. We remember Mortis. We remember Wrath. We remember all of these corny things from WCW because they at least gave you an impression. They yeah. put on a bit of entertainment. Glacier... We don't remember Prince Iakea because of matches like this. Looking back, he almost feels like a cheap Rocky Maivia. Yeah, yeah. A they were like, oh, you've got a Polynesian multi-generation superstar? Well, so do we. We'll see, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see your Rocky Maivia and give you a Prince Iakea. <laughs> I even think it's the same amount of syllables. <laughs> Rocky Maivia, Prince Iakea. <laughs> like it's oh, almost, it almost works out. The most notes I took during this match, though, were not about the match itself. Yeah. During the entrance, during the opening, they cut to a kid in the crowd. He has a bowl cut, bit of a heavy kid, and he's doing this crazy rage-filled expression yelling into the camera. And then I'm like, oh my God, we've seen him on other pay-per-views. He was in the crowd at like SummerSlam. Right. And then I was like, I think I feel like I remember this was like a running joke or a meme back on the forums yeah. back in the day. And so I just did a quick search Google, and yeah. Google just filled out my search. It knew who I was looking at. I wrote... Bowl cut WCW, and then it filled it out. Filled out the rest. This guy, he was at 
SummerSlam 96, mm-hmm. King of the Ring 96. He's at Survivor Series 96. So, so we've seen him. So he's an old WWF guy. And then... Then he jumped ship. He jumped ship. <laughs> he was a defector to WCW at Super Brawl 97. He then shows up throughout 97 as well. Anyway, he even has an Instagram account, uh, Bowl Cut Kid. Oh, wow. I am, at I am Charles Lyon. If I show you wow, his photo there, you know the that one. angry that's kid who's one. yelling. So um, the overhyped kid that looks like Chris Farley. That's insane. <laughs> yes. That is insane. Throughout the pay per view, they cut to him quite a bit, but uh, yeah, he still tweets about wrestling. He loves it. Look at that. Well, it's good to see him on board. Hmm. Uh, look, it, it, this match is it is what it is. It's not offensive by any means. It's not like you're sitting there going, "This is a horrible match." Like the last one where it was just a hodgepodge. It's just a not an eventful match until Stephen Regal walks out, now known as William Regal. And it's a bit of post-match weirdness. The Prince I.K. retains. But um, at the end of the day, unfortunately for Rey Mysterio, it's just a match with a wrestler that no one really cared about and a title that no one really cared about. Yeah, he got the short end of the Cruiserweight stick on this show. Normally we see Rey in some, you know, great, classic matches on these pay-per-views but you had Malenko working with six you had Jericho working with Eddie later on and poor Ray <laughs> they're like get something out of Prince it's, it's like look we can put you in the six man with the rest of the luchas like no 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 no, no. <laughs> give me something give else give me that guy or Prince IK yep look that'll do now William Regal shows up in this match like you said and this was about the era where I first figured out who he was because he was on WCW I'm like mm-hmm. oh yeah some British guy when he jumped to WWE a couple of years later, I remember me and my brother thinking, oh, it's that boring guy from WCW. And we remember thinking, oh, he's some old guy that's in WCW because he looks old. He looks old, yeah. He's aged well now because he hasn't aged since. Like, yes. he just stayed one age. Yeah, in 1996, he looks like he does in 2021, which is fantastic. Uh, absolutely. It's gr- yeah. so good. It sucks at the time, but it's good now for him. <laughs> Anyway, I know we've spoken about ages on these shows, but this one might be the most mind-blowing because how old does he look on this pay-per-view? He looks at least maybe 37, 38. Yeah, and here's the trip because, yeah, he doesn't look old now in 2021. At this point, in 1997, that guy is only 28. You're kidding. <laughs> yes. He looks 38. <laughs> he looks 38. But this is the thing. Okay, so when he's 28, he looks like he's 38. When he's 38, he looks like he's 38. He's, then when he's, he's 48, he looks 38. He looks 38. Yeah. So I guess he's playing the long game. Yeah, yeah, it pays <laughs> off. He's going to be 70 coming out to say war games on NXT. <laughs> and we're going to be like, oh, he looks good. Well, look, that's that match in the books there. And then we get to another Mean Gene segment. Mean Gene Oakland at this point in time is dwarfed by the giant who is glistening like a character in SmackDown. Here comes the pain. <laughs> he's just got... He must have put the oil on because he's giving a very cool, calm and collected promo here. And he, you find out too that because of an injury to Lex Luger, he will be facing the Outsiders in a handicap match for the WCW titles. Yeah, and, but it's a great promo though, hyping that up. Giant explains that, you know, he can take on two and one. He knows their tricks, blah, blah, blah. But this is a really good promo. And I think we've mentioned it before. Giant at his age with his, you know, sort of lack of experience is only a couple of years into his career. Great, great promos. And at this point in time too, he's left the NWO. So he's back on Team WCW. He's just looking imposing as at the moment. We've already seen him turn twice in a year. Yes, he joined the NWO and left. Left the NWO. Oh, God. 
Let's people, keep track of it. And and people say that the big show, uh, like, say it's a WWF thing that he kept going back and forth. No, this is just a Paul White special. Pretty sure he joins the NWO again down the line. No spoilers, but uh, I'm pretty look- sure he does. I'm looking forward to see the work that he does in AEW where he joins the Nightmare family, <laughs> then joins Taz, Team Taz, and then goes back to the dark. They've got a lot of factions. He's going to have a ball there. <laughs> He's going to go so much fun there. We get to our next match. That is Buff Bagwell with the B-team music as well. I thought that was pretty interesting. (laughs) So strange. So strange that... Because this is the thing that I disliked about the B-team music. I get that they're trying to have everyone under the NWO banner, but when you had the B-team music, you're like, ah, it's not anyone good. They stopped doing it, though, don't they, at one point? Yeah. Eventually, everyone has NWO music. Because I think they realise, oh, if you hear that music, you know that you're not getting Hogan... Paul and Nash, Nash yeah. yeah. You're just getting a, you know, Michael Wall Street or Vincent coming out. Which is also unfair to people like Buff oh, and Bagwell. Sean Waltman, who should be on a higher level than, Correct. you know, Virgil or Vincent. Now, now, Buff Bagwell comes out with the BT music. Buff here is completely... We mentioned how him joining the NWO was a big turning point for Buff Bagwell. He, he is... Dusty Rhodes says it here. He's become a major player in WCW. Yeah, uh, since joining the NWO. They lambast him and say, oh, it was a horrible decision, but Marcus had to do what he had to do, and now look at him now. Yeah, where's uh, what's his name? Scotty Riggs isn't even on this show, but Buff, he's moving on up. Yeah. And also, with Buff, we see DDP mention it, and we see the commentators do it during this match, and Buff himself, they all refer to him as Buff the Stuff. So he heard Bischoff trying to get that over for the NWO as a whole and sold out, and Buff was like, it rhymes with Buff, I'm the stuff, and the rest is history. It certainly is. And the best part, too, is so DDP comes out. He's got the cigar back. Yeah, I know. I thought he got rid of it. We're almost there, but he has the pyro, yep. so he's almost there. He's almost there. Not now, the right pyro. No, 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 but, you know, we're baby steps pyro. here. Baby yep. steps. Now, Buff is getting completely fed up at the crowd. All the while he's doing this, because he was obviously a favorite with the American males, and now that he's uh, turned his back on them, He's a bad guy. But Tony Schiavone is talking about the new buff Bagwell. Like, he's talking about the... I love how he's treating it like Marcus Bagwell was a completely different person. Which I actually legitimately think is awesome because Marcus Bagwell in the American Males and Buff Bagwell, the one that everyone remembers, are two completely wrestlers, two completely different wrestlers. I didn't know who Marcus Bagwell was as a kid. Yeah. I didn't know till later he had a pre-buff existence. <laughs> exactly. And and the thing is, like, the best part is, there's a part where Buff actually yells, Buff is the stuff. Yeah. And does the flex. Now, with Buff doing that, he does that to the camera multiple times. He does a great bit where he's choking DDP on the ropes and he talks into the camera. And that's what got Buff over. Trash talking during his matches. It's so good. He does it during his entrance too. And this reminded me of a thing I heard him say in a podcast. When he went to WWE, Hmm. they said, don't do that. We don't do that here. You're not allowed to do that. Don't address the camera up close. And he says that's something that hurt his chances at getting over there, amongst other amongst things. Amongst other things. But, but really, like, when you see him do that and when you see Harlem Heat do it as well, because that was a thing they would do during their entrance, I think that's kind of cool. It was very It cool. would be cool if people did that now. Because one of the reasons why I really liked Buff Bagwell, the blockbuster was cool. This is post-NWO. His tights were cool. He had um, the buff little top hat with, oh, yeah. with his picture airbrushed on it. Abe Lincoln hat. Yeah. And it was he was just a cool sort of guy and he kept saying buff is the stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which like which I think um, You hear it enough, eventually you agree. He is the stuff. <laughs> and the thing that I've put put in here too, uh 
who's the red? Uh, I, I put. I, I can't quite read my note here, so I'll ignore it. But it does says the stuff question mark on it. So stuff must be mentioned a lot. They must say it a lot. Yeah. And you know what? It's stuck with us over twenty years later. <laughs> At one point, Buff hits a tornado DDT off the top rope. Doesn't land perfect, but it lands good enough. But Tony, and I think we've mentioned this with WCW commentary, if something doesn't land, they acknowledge that yes. it doesn't land. Yeah. And I've argued that you should probably just roll with it because it gets messy when you're like, oh, he didn't get all of it, oh, but he, he was, was trying this. to do a Samoan drop there, but he kind of didn't, you know. So so Tony Schiavone says, almost like a diamond cutter, uh, almost like a bulldog or a DDT. Yeah, just leave it. You don't have to say that. Say <laughs> it's it. like... Yeah, the Homer Simpson. Like, what about pork and bacon and, you know... and <laughs> but, it, but it's almost a little bit, like, it takes it out of the real sport aspect because in sport, like, how many times have you seen in a footy match or a basketball match where someone goes to do something, it doesn't work because sometimes they don't work. They don't go, oh, well, he was trying to do a three-pointer there, but he missed. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he shanked it a bit. Just say, oh, so, yeah, go on, you know, he hit DDP with yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, he was, meant to do, he was meant to do a small and drop. He couldn't quite do it, and there you go. Yeah. At one point, Buff pushes the referee, and the ref pushes him back all the way to the ground and starts yelling at him, and it gets a massive ovation from the crowd. There it is. Yes. Now I'll put it. I, who is the ref who's beating the stuff? Is what I've written down here. <laughs> well, it wasn't Randy Anderson, no, and it, was it wasn't Nick Patrick. It was some bald guy. I don't know who he was. And honestly, he was giving the full like, you know, how dare you, you know, like pointing yeah. to the stripes kind of thing. Uh, but the the interesting thing is, Buff Bagwell uses a perfect plex. He does. He hits the fisherman suplex, but then he purposely gets out of it, and then he tells the ref count to ten because I want to knock him out. Yeah. So bizarre, this one. And then DDP completely bails and wins by disqualification because Six and Michael Wall Street, a.k.a. IRS, come out. And Virgil as well. So the full cast of characters <laughs> of the NWOB team, including Nick Patrick in a checkered ref shirt. Everyone else has still got the bow tie and the blue shirt. Yeah. He comes out in the black and white stripes. With no sleeves. With no sleeves. <laughs> and a baseball cap and sunnies. He embraced being a heel. It's kind of fun. <laughs> it's um, so good. When they ran out, I said, IRS and 123 are out for DDP. Like, that's a lot of just not real names. It's a lot of syllables there. At one point, though, and I'm going to give this award to uh, Dusty Rhodes. I don't think anyone tops him on the show unless you've got it in your notes. But the you probably can't say that in 2021 award, when DDP hits an atomic drop, Dream says, that'll make you change who you want to take to the prom. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, yeah, probably yeah. not. You're definitely not going to be able to say that in 2021. But look, it was a decent showing there. And it continues that story of the NWO pretty much putting like a hit on DDP because he refuses to join him. Yeah, good story. And honestly, after those two previous matches, this was a breath of fresh air. So anyone who thinks, oh, only high-flying matches are good, give me DDP and Buff over that very, trios match any day. Very, very good stuff. We then cut to the crowd where Keith Phillips from Utah has won a PlayStation 1. Oh, <laughs> PS1 in 97, in Feb of 97. Mate. That's pretty good. And he, the best part too is he starts hooting and hollering and like, ooh, yay. <laughs> and the line from Bobby Heenan is, why do grown people have to howl? <laughs> it's so Calm good. down, you mark. He's so good. Um, we then get to our next match for the US Championship. It is Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho is such a white meat baby face here that Tony Schiavone says, and I quote on commentary, 
one of the nicest young men we have here in WCW. Mm. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Not, he's a former, you know, he's been in Japan. He's, he's just, he's a really good guy. This is a nice, upstanding young man. Someone you'd want your daughter to bring home. Like, there's nothing to him still nothing, at this point. Absolutely nothing here. But um, now, here's one of the weirdest things, too, because Eddie Guerrero, he's the US champion, but he's had that, he hasn't had that belt for a while. Um, He's had the Battle Bowl ring stolen, the US title stolen from him. So it's not a good time for Eddie Guerrero in terms of being a champion. No, but in saying that, I was thinking about that as well with Eddie's bad luck of things being stolen. Do you think this is like a nature versus nurture situation when poor Eddie, he finally got to WWE, his career has been nothing but being robbed? Yeah. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to start stealing. stealing. Yes. And he started slying and cheating and stealing and things took off. And he's just sort of gone, you know what? It's worked for the NWO. <laughs> I'm going to twist the tables here. Yeah, so uh, this is the planting the seeds for Eddie down the line. This was actually a fairly interesting match because while you've got Jericho and Eddie, both cruiserweights at the time, they are very, they're wrestling quite a heavyweight sort of style. There's not yeah. too many flips. There's not too many stuff like that. So much so the crowd is actually so quiet and there's a part of it on the network where it gets muted i i thought the crowd was just really quiet because they were both faces and they didn't know who to cheer yeah but does it get muted at some point maybe they start chanting something offensive yeah i thought and it's only for a brief second maybe it's my sound cutting out but uh, then after that it was a good wrestling match though but yeah the crowd wasn't fully into it the crowd's not fully into it because they're if this was jericho versus eddie in 2000 and say 2002 yeah. This would be a normal match because they're both big, bigger dudes. They wrestle later in the year at another pay-per-view, at Fall Brawl, I think. It's probably their most famous match from WCW. Yep. I think one of them has turned, so the crowd's more into it. So we'll yeah. get to it. Yeah, the other one is it's a there's a little bit of heelish moves by Chris Jericho. I guess he's probably calling an audible. It's like, well, I need to do something yeah. to try to get the crowd on the side here. Uh, Eddie does pick up the win. There's a little bit of... Um, respect shown and I thought this was really weird where Eddie goes and puts the belt on Jericho's shoulder and Jericho's like nah don't want it I know it's <laughs> that is such a dick move though by Eddie though like I get in character he's trying to be a nice guy but yeah. imagine you just won the grand final and you went up to the runner the runner up and team put your premiership you, medal yeah, on him yeah. oh you're pretty good too here yeah. hold the cup they'd be like shut up yeah <laughs> <laughs> Patronise me, it you was, prick. It was just so odd, though, wasn't it? But, yeah, look, it's a good match. It, the crowd's just not into it. Yeah. And you notice it. Yeah, you do. Which is, it makes it hard to get into the match. But I'd say that match continues the trend of this pay-per-view picking back up, though. It yeah. was, st- It's still worth a watch because you're seeing two guys do some good wrestling, if that's what you want to see. Yeah, exactly. We get into our next match, which is a triangle match. It's the Faces of Fear versus Public Enemy versus Harlem Heat. Now, this is meant to be a four-way match, according to Tony Schiavone. He says that the Steiners were meant to be in the match, but the Outsiders took them out in a car accident on Nitro. Which they promised to never show again because this footage was too vile. But again, when Sid breaks his leg in a few years, they'll replay replay it 6,000 times on Nitro. But that's an infamous scene in WCW. So on an episode of Nitro prior to this pay-per-view, we see video... Uh, camcorder footage that the NWO has sent into Nitro. Yep. And it's 
shaky cam and we see a car and you hear the outsiders and six saying oh my god that's the steiners and they run them off the road and the car like hits a tree and they're sort of like alluding to the fact that i think they just killed They've them just been so, murdered yeah yeah that's just absolutely crazy that one um so the, the the odd one here about this is it's these two of these teams face of fear public enemy both have a very similar style which is big plotting you know Big guys versus big guys, where Harlem Heat can still actually wrestle a fair bit. Oh, yeah, a bit of finesse with Booker T especially. Unfortunately for them, the face of fear and public enemy turn it into one of those lumbering, <laughs> slow plotting matches, which isn't bad by any means. It's still pretty good. The, the funny is, too, Dusty, uh, Dusty Rhodes and Bobby the Brain Heenan once again pandered to the Australian crowd by talking about the rules of the match because it's Australian tag team rules. Bloody, 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 blah. The the face of fear do put on a pretty good showing, despite the fact they're the MVPs of this match, I thought. Oh, Ming and Barbarian, for some reason, they're in the ring quite a bit in this match. And yeah, they both look really good. We saw them have some, you know, good exchanges with the Outsiders as well on previous pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. They were still really good in the 90s. We know what Harlem Heat can do. Public Enemy, don't do it for me. They didn't back in the day either. I didn't watch ECW didn't in watch 1994, ECW. so I can't tell you how great they were that's an act that seemingly only works in ecw in front of a small crowd yeah. anywhere else you can't take the tongue-in-cheek part of it as anything other than like oh so this is a joke right mm. like yeah and, and amazingly they pick up the win yeah. which blew my mind because i assumed like oh yeah harlem heat get this one they they win it because so uh rocco rock is the legal man and he's being picked up by he's being picked up by is it Meng or Barbarian? One of the faces of fear picks him up, and Johnny Grunge jumps off the top rope and does a splash, and that leads to the pin. Hmm. So at this point in time, so it's almost like a fluke win. But yeah, you're right. It's it's a weird one because I also like I did watch a bit of their work in ECW. To be honest, getting the crowd to dance didn't. It's not a thing. Like when the biggest bit of um. When their biggest calling card is they can do stuff outside the ring when you're a wrestler, mm. that's like saying, oh, look, the guy in the... Uh, that's like, imagine being on a basketball team where all they say is, oh, look, I don't know about that LeBron dude, but he can throw all that chalk in the air really well. <laughs> yeah, talk about how good he's in a basketball ring. Yeah, and you can't say, well, oh, Hogan or whoever doesn't do anything in the ring. No, there's a difference between being able to like get the crowd into it before the match and also in the match. Correct. Public enemy during the match don't do anything. No. So just a couple of notes though. Booker T hasn't made the Spinner Rooney its own standalone thing. That happens in the WWE where they turn it into an event. Yeah. It started off as this heelish annoying thing. It's like a taunt. Then it turned into, you know, like, yeah, a show-stopping taunt. Mm. But here, he goes for an elbow drop. The guy moves, but then he quickly, to recover back to his feet, spin a Rooney's up in one motion yeah. and then hits a leg drop or something. And I thought, that's really cool. Booker T for his size. So athletic and so good. And also, Tony Schiavone, I know history has been kind to him and we look back at him and we say, you know what? He was a good commentator. Mm. And he definitely was. Very good. But after watching this pay-per-view and listening to his commentary, I can see why we all did think he was annoying at the time yeah because there are so many times in this pay-per-view where he calls brain dream and dream brain and they pull him up on it and he keeps doing it and he gets defensive like he won't even just laugh it off then in this match brain 
so Harlem Heat, I assume, are good guys by this point. Yep. The crowd cheers them. Crowd cheers them. They've got uh, Sherry on their side as well. Sherry's with them still, yep. but they've gotten rid of the slave the, master, the slave whatever master the dude's person. name Colonel Buddy Lee Parker. <laughs> Colonel guy. Yeah. So, you know, and they wrestled the NWO. Like, they're good guys. So Heenan is saying how good Sherry looks. He goes, oh, look at her. She looks great. And Tony just goes, you like the way she looks? And Brain's like, yeah, she looks good. And Tony's like, ugh, gross. And it's like, what? Yeah, it's it's that oh, that um, that actually segues us into a very good bit because we get into Steve McMichael versus Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> now this is a t- this is a is it a death match? No, it's not. It's just a, a regular if, match. If Double J wins, he's in the Horseman. Yeah. So now Tony talks about the logistics. If Jeff Jarrett wins, is it five Horsemen or does one leave? Like that's the entire thing. There is a sign of a young girl in the crowd. She's holding up a a massive sign that just says "Prettier than Deborah." This girl probably looks to be maybe fifteen or sixteen. It's <laughs> yeah. a teenager. Yeah, yeah. And Tony's like, oh, "I don't know about that." <laughs> I, really? You watch it back. Tony was the heel. Brain's <laughs> just doing his job, commentating, giving context. Dreams just being dream. Tony, it's like, calm down, man. It's like Tony. That, she, it's just a tongue in cheek. <laughs> yeah, just say, yep, yeah. you're the pretty girl. Don't exactly. worry, that's about it. But he's out of his like, "Oh, I don't know about that." <laughs> What are you talking about? Oh, this girl has got nuts in her, mate. She's not pretty at all. She's got rocks in her brain if she <laughs> thinks that she's the prettiest one. Look at Deborah, and look at you. You're an app. It almost like Brain has to sort of talk him back a bit. Like, come on, man. It's a kid. Yeah, yeah. It's a Brain really wasn't a heel by this point at all. He's just the voice of reason for Shivani's madness. He, he is. It's so strange, this part. But this is the other part that's strange. The crowd is so into this match. They are into it. And I was shocked by it because I've been going on for months about why are we meant to cheer Double J? Is he the bad guy or the good guy? I don't know what's happening. Are the horsemen good guys or bad guys? We don't know. We why do we know. Do we want Double J to join them or not? I like, is that know. a good thing or not? I don't know what we're meant to think with this whole feud. Because at the same point, people also don't like Mongo here too. Why should we like Mongo? <laughs> I didn't know who we're meant to... like. Uh, are both of them being like the smarmy face who's really a heel, or are they both being faces, but they're both just really unlikable? I think they're both just being, they're just both unlikable. That's just it. That's just the easiest way I could put it. Because Double J does, you know, the strut obnoxiously after a couple of basic moves and gets booed, rightfully so, for it. Mm. Was that intended? <laughs> I don't. It's so bizarre. So, so bizarre. And Deborah is also odd here because... So she's married to Mongo, mm. yet she's helping Jeff Jarrett a fair bit. like, And she's giving weird excuses too. Like, they've got to stay inside the ring. Yeah. They've got to do this. They've got to do that. She even says to the camera at one point, she goes, I don't know which one to help. Yeah. <laughs> Although the commentators jump on her on that, which is funny. And they're like, help the one you're married yeah. to. Help yeah. your husband is yeah. the correct answer here, Deborah. The best part is, though, I've actually written this down. This is probably the best Mongo match I've seen. Oh, my God. Probably Mongo's best best <laughs> match we've seen, though. Yeah. <laughs> that is what I've written down here, too. So, Deborah gets the assist here because Mongo goes to us. Mongo's carrying around this little briefcase thing. Think of it like a slimmer version of Money in the Bank. Mm. He's walking around with the case, and he wants to use it on Jarrett, obviously. But Deborah is like, no, no, not going to do it. And throws the briefcase over Mongo's head. Jarrett picks it up and then gets the win as a result of the briefcase. To which Brain then says, I smell a divorce. Yeah, which 
Great line. Bit tongue-in-cheek, bit tongue-in-cheek. To be though. fair, this whole horseman saga of 96 and 97 is all about divorces and your wife leaving you. Yeah. We see it with Benoit and Woman, and Woman was, you know, sort of a valet of Ric Flair not long before this, and now we see it with Double J and Mongo and Deborah. Like, man, don't be married and in the horseman. Yeah, it's, it's not going to work it's out. It's not a good work. It's definitely not a great working environment. And that leads to a good home environment but there. But also, shout out to Double J for, yeah, he carries Mongo to his best match. This is all Jarrett with his, you know, veteran skills putting the match together. You see him obviously calling the match at certain points. Yep. At one point, Mongo hits a boss man slam and just stares at Double J and doesn't know what to do next. And the camera's really up close. I'm guessing Jarrett didn't know. And he just goes, cover me. <laughs> And then Mongo goes for the pin. It's it's an odd one. It's a really odd one. But like you said, it's Mongo's best match. Yeah. Uh, we move on to a San Francisco death match. We've had a lot of death matches for, with like Texas death matches. This and that. Everything's a death match. They're all really last man standing matches. I, I don't know why they keep having to bring in regional towns and dialects <laughs> to it. But uh, Well, it's like you said, we pop when they mention Australia. So it's true. the same thing. Australian death match. What? This is fantastic. <laughs> So this is a, the best part too. So Kevin Sullivan comes out first, uh, and before before Chris Benoit even has a chance to make his entrance, Dusty is already referred to woman as devilish woman. He also mentioned that about Deborah actually, and he said, "Ah, another one of these devilish women we got here. You'll see some later." <laughs> like you, yeah, he couldn't you can, let it go. You can really see that Dusty's got a real issue with the women of WCW here, and I'm sure it's in a in a, a very amusing way. But um, so um. Kevin Sullivan comes out with Jacqueline, aka Jackie from WWF. Mm. Uh, we know we knew her as a women's champ back in the day with Sable and Ivory and that sort of rostered Tory as well. But what's the context? I never quite because I didn't watch the Nitros back then. What's the context with woman and Jacqueline having to be strapped together? So I think this just comes from when a uh, woman left Sullivan for Benoit on mm-hmm. the show. He then enlists Jackie to be his real woman. It's a, What's interesting about this, actually, in the same way that a couple of years later we'd see uh, Deborah join Double J, Double J yeah. in, in WWE w. as well, we'd see Jackie do this same story. Because remember when Sable eventually leaves Mark Mero, yes. he brings in Jackie as a real woman to teach her a lesson. Right. So Jackie was the real woman for hire. You bring her in to beat up a woman who's left you. Right, yeah, there you go. So that's that's interesting and there. Also, in the lead up to this, Sullivan and Jackie kept saying they were too legit to quit and they were trying to make that their catchphrase. For those who don't know, Too Legit to Quit was MC Hammer's follow-up hit to to (laughs) Can't Touch This. Not really remembered anymore, but at the time, that was like a big saying, and it was fun. Too Legit to Quit also had a... uh, Because he did the Too Legit to Quit. The hand sign, yeah. So it was peace sign, L sign, point Point to to your back. back. Too Legit, Too Legit to Quit. (laughs) What's funny, talking about outdated references because it's wrestling, that song came out in 1991, not 97. So I love the fact that Kevin Sullivan's like, hey, let's reference this great hip-hop song. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. So this match, this match is a weird one for me to watch because it's got Chris Benoit in it with Woman, but yeah. Woman and Jacqueline... Uh, and are strapped together. They're having yeah. basically a strap match while Sullivan and Benoit are having a death match. Correct. And the minute that the, the bell rings, they're straight at it. Woman smacking Jacqueline, Jacqueline dishing it straight back. Sullivan and Benoit just punching each other. And... 
the other good little uh, topic that I've got is Dustin Dustin Rhodes. Uh, sorry, Dusty Rhodes calling someone's testicles vitals will never ever not <laughs> never never not pop me. It's just so hilarious. But this is actually. A great match. Yeah, I was a bit uncomfortable at the start for obvious reasons. It's a death match. We've got, you know, Nancy and Benoit are in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, for myself, the there's... Like a- yeah, and there's choking. It's very uncomfortable. For me, enough time has passed now. I can watch Benoit matches and almost just watch it. Mm-hmm. I don't say, oh my God, he's so good. Like, there's still part of me. I can't enjoy it. But I can sit through it now because it feels just historical at this point. Yeah. But this match is a lot of fun. The crowd loves it. It's probably one of the more entertaining things. It's not perfect. It's a little bit rough. You know, it's definitely rough around the edges. Some convoluted things happening, but it's very entertaining. They go backstage as well. It spills to the outside, around the arena as well. There's some weird questions, like not questions, but like what, the line that always had me is when they return back to the arena because the women are still wrestling inside the ring as Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit are wandering around the ring. And then when they return back to the ring, it's like, better check in on the girls to see what's for dinner. (laughs) And it's just like, oh no, dude. It was a different time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that maybe is tied with Dusty's You Can't Say That in 2021 (laughs) award for the show. Um, There's a lot of convoluted old school wrestling funny spots in this match, which are pretty... Pretty entertaining. At one point, the girls have the strap and they're playing tug of war, and then both guys are stumbling to their feet, and the women move to the side and clothesline the guys. Yes. Then at one point, there's like a sequence of low blows. You know, Jackie low blows Benoit, but yep. then woman low blows Sullivan. It's Gets like, him in the vitals. In so the vitals. Yeah. She kicked him in the thing, I think is another, <laughs> another one he calls it. But it's like Three Stooges. It's very fun. It's, yeah, really good. So the finish is also interesting because the action sort of spills outside the ring. Chris Benoit gets a table. Mm. Now, it's not like your normal WWE table that the Dudleys used to have and we all know and love. It's It looks like a proper solid table. And we'll find out very later on. It is quite solid because Benoit then puts Sullivan on top of the table. Jacqueline gets on top of Sullivan to protect her. And Benoit jumps up the top rope, mm. takes out Jacqueline and Kevin Sullivan. Table doesn't break. Table doesn't break, but the crowd loses their minds. This is a great spot. And for the time, it looked awesome. You know, it doesn't break. They maybe milk it for too long after this because Benoit gets a win and then they do a stretch a job and mm. it shuts down the pay-per-view. They want to make it look real. I think we're a bit desensitized to tables by this point, but shout out to whoever put this together. Great logic because, you know, now we just expect that under the ring there's a table, there's a ladder, what? there's barbed wire, Is there's thumbtacks. Yeah. The ladder, sure, Benoit gets it from under the ring, but it was placed under the ring by the production team because Public Enemy walked out with it and left it near the ring. That's why it That's was under the, the ring. Now, now I know moving on, it just became, oh, there's a table under the ring. That's just if, where things live. If yeah. this was the birth of it, no, they gave you a reason why there's a table under the ring. Another thing about this one too is, like, I've written down here, the post-match, Arn Anderson is out in disbelief along with Lee Marshall, Terry Taylor. It's the Linda McMahon gets a tombstone by Kane spot. And people run in yeah. suits <laughs> yeah. to check in on people. It's stretcher jobs for everyone. Yeah. It's it's pretty cool. It's actually a cool little spot. It leads us to an ad for the next WCW pay-per-view, which is uh, WCW Uncensored. Mm. We see Hugh Morris Hugh in Morris. a jail cell. Yeah. Obviously, Roddy Piper's cellmate in Alcatraz. Well, to be fair, if you're going to spend, uh, like, you know, 
They've paid for seven nights. Might as well use it for <laughs> When so Piper ran out, they're like, yeah, you've still got three days. <laughs> it's and like, Hugh Morris. Right. Hugh Morris. Wait, how many more days? Is that enough to shoot an ad? Yeah. When's, on, when's on censored? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, that leads us to our next match, which is uh, a WCW tag team match. The Outsiders with six. This is something we talk about how um, William Regal is a fountain of youth. Kevin Nash looks exactly the same in 1997 as he does in 2021. He looks good. Yeah, he's got some grey hair now and he's cut it short, but Kevin Nash yeah. looks good. He looks exactly the same. Yeah. Look at Scott Hall now and look at Sean Waltman now. Yeah, that's, <laughs> for obvious reasons, yeah. they don't look the same. Um, I love the Wolfpack, this original version, the three of them, you know, always doing things together. Uh, it's cool that six is there at this point. I think it adds something to the outsiders. Yeah. They get a big pop as usual. Giants out. I got to say, this was one of my favorite matches of the night. This whole any time we've seen the Outsiders up to this point, they have, you know, maybe the best part of the pay per view. Yeah, and the other thing is they're the ones that seem to give more. Like out of the NWO, they don't quite have this. They still they've got the swagger without having to need to have the swagger. Same with Six. Like you watch Big Bubba, for example. He really like I'm NWO for life. NWO yeah. for life. Even Buff, to some extent, he's like, oh, Buff's the stuff. Whereas the outsiders don't have to say anything. They just wrestle and they still have that great charisma. Because they're actually cool. And I think that was, you know, we've made note of it already up to this point, even though it's early days for the NWO still, where Hogan is like, you know, the cool dad who's trying real hard. Whereas the Wolfpack seemed separate, maybe on purpose, because they knew they had a bit of a a real swagger. It was different. Yeah, exactly. Now, it's an interesting one, too, because there is no music from the Giant. Is this uh, because at first he came out with Dungeon of Doom music and because he's got no one, he's affiliated to no one at the moment? Yeah, he didn't have music. Kind of like how Andre the Giant didn't have music. Right, so he's just got the green, it's bathed in green lights. He's got a cool, calm and collected sort of entrance. Starts off with Scott Hall. And I, I've also written down here, Nash has his working boots on. Giant is manhandling him. He's picking up Kevin Nash like he's absolutely nothing. Both of them. Scott Hall is a really big guy. He's like 6'7", yep. you know, as heavyweight wrestler, however much he weighs, 260 Very strong pounds. Too. We've seen him do fallaway slams like they're nothing. To big guys like Barbarian and Meng and Stevie Ray and whoever else. But Giant picks up Scott Hall with one arm and presses him. Like at one point, he's holding him with only one of his arms and he throws him. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely uh, crazy. Paul White, Giant, Big Show, doesn't get enough credit for being as strong as he is sometimes for some reason. He's yeah, a freak. I think it's just because he's always sort of seen as a bit player. Like he never really, he's always a B side to someone else's A side. Like yeah. He's never been a big... The only time he's ever had a big push was in 1999 where he was up against the boss man of all people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we'll get to that. When that's, your, when that's your A program, of course people are going to like dish into him. But he's always been a solid player. I believe you've chatted to him beforehand too, haven't you, Simon? No, like, never. No, he seems oh, like a cool guy. Yeah, because he seems like a really cool guy in interviews. So, But look, he's really... He's doing his bit here. Yeah. The, the other cool thing I thought was there was an... NWO triple team spot with Six, Nash, and Hall. And it just looked really, really cool. But there is an even better spot where Nash actually actually gets Six thrown into him by the Giant. So the Six is on the top rope. Giant catches him and then throws him into Kevin Nash. Yeah, yeah. And Nash catches him and like rolls back. <laughs> they do everything in their power to make Giant look like a beast. Like yeah. they really... 
push it that even though it's two on one, Giant is still a threat. And of course, it's an outsiders match, so we have to see Scott Hall do the spit and then do the tag to Nash. And Nash is fired up to get in there with Giant, like you said. He had the working boots on. There's some great exchanges. The crowd's into it. At one point, Giant also hits a drop kick. Yeah. And I think the commentators undersold it, but the crowd lost their minds. Like, my God, what a freak Paul White was at the time. Uh, Tony Schiavone, mm. great bit of commentary, and it shows you how times have changed. Uh, Giant at one point rams Hall into the ring post on the outside of the ring. Yep. And he says, oh, the ring post, that's the hardest, hardest part, part of the, the ring. ring. <laughs> oh, not anymore, mate. We oh, know the apron is. These times have changed, haven't they? But this is another cool spot too. Lex Luger comes out towards the end. Massive pop. Oh. We have mentioned this numerous times. We don't quite understand just why Lex Luger was so popular in uh, WCW at the time, but it's like Metallica is into the room. <laughs> I was excited when he came out. I'm fully on board the Lex Express at this point. I'm not going to question it anymore. I love it. Every time he shows up, it's the most exciting part of best, the show. Best pop of that, uh, that part when he comes out as well. Eric Bischoff trying to stop him, and he just throws yes. it. Eric Bischoff almost goes flying. Yeah, it's so cool. And the crowd loses their mind. A one-armed Lex Luger because he's got the cast on, and yeah, he chucks Bischoff. He's ready to go. And this is at the point of the match near the end where it just goes from peak to peak, this match. Just crazy things happening to get the crowd into it. Nash hits the giant with a power bomb. Yep. And he hits it perfectly and clean, and it is insane. It's mental. Absolutely crazy. So at that point, he hits the powerbomb. Luger's out. Luger gets on the apron. Goes and for the hot tag. Gets the hot tag. And what a hot tag it is. It's only like 10 seconds long. But Six gets up and takes a clothesline out of the ring. Hall gets knocked out. You know, Luger... Luger's using the cast. He's got a broken arm with the cast on, so he's yep. using that to his advantage. And we already know... In canon, Luger also has a loaded forearm. He's mm. got the metal plate in there. So, man, you've just Get you've geared him up. He's like Jax now. He's got metal <laughs> in his arm. He's got a cast on. He's ready to go. And then he does the torture act to Nash. And But before that, the chicken dance. Oh, of course. Sorry, you got to do the chicken dance again to get the crowd to, to another crowd peak. To get the crowd up and running. He does the chicken dance. He's ready to go. Oh, he rips off his flannel shirt too. Mm -hmm. Like Luger has all the tricks to get the crowd cheering at this point. And then Nash submits. Yeah. And then another great bit of storytelling, just like um, Benoit logically getting the table. Nash submitted... Because when he did the power bomb, he sold that he hurt his back. Yep. And they're like, oh my God, Nash is back from hitting that power bomb. He was ready to tap out because he was sore. So one torture rack, you're done. Yeah. Great, was, great storytelling. It's a fantastic, uh, it's a great match too. They tell the story really well. And, I reckon, I reckon that Giant actually, he, like you said, everyone really craps on the Giant here, but he really brought it. Yeah, and another bit of storytelling to cover their bases. Remember we saw um, the Steiners get the win against the Outsiders and yes. win the titles. Yes, yeah, But out. there was controversy because the referee came out of the crowd when he should have. So that got overturned. That's why the Outsiders have the belts here. So Randy Anderson, to cover his bases in the storyline... Giant then chokeslammed Hall and he made the pin for that too. And they said, oh, there we go. All bases are covered. The outsiders have been beat, you know, by both members. Yeah. So this was really good and the crowd loved it. Very cool. Very cool. As we get to our main event, 
Hollywood Hogan versus Rowdy Roddy Piper. Now, Hollywood Hogan is out first, does the full shtick. He is milking everything right now. And i got to say, Hollywood Hogan is the greatest character, full stop, in, he's all hilarious. Of, in all of wrestling because he's like a pantomime villain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just in the same way that Hulk Hogan, the good guy, was a cartoon good guy and mm. is basically Superman... As a villain, he is a cartoon villain. He's a cartoon villain. It's, it's amazing. The, it's, you half expect him to, like, you know, he's the sort of person that would poison the town's drinking water. And, and rub his hands yeah, about it. Yeah, and, and hold Bill up to ransom. He'd be pushing <laughs> over old ladies. That's the sort of character he was. But it, it's, it's just crazy because then Piper comes out. He's been in Alcatraz for a week, which we've all established. He just looks like a lunatic. Yeah, his shirt's all ripped up. He's got wet wet and powdery. He just looks gross. One thing I noticed, though, during their entrances, no Michael Buffer. Yeah. Yeah, what happened there? I don't know. I was ready for him to say some dumb stuff about (laughs) from Alcatraz, the most dangerous place in the world, like nothing. He is the star of Suburban Commando, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's no buffer. I didn't actually notice that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So it's the full-on Hulk Hogan main event formula. And I actually noticed this, uh, and I didn't write it down, but normally in these matches, Hulk Hogan's hair gets really sweaty. It doesn't for a good majority of this match. It does towards the end. But he, it's still that flowing, flowing blonde. Yeah, like he's gotten it straightened. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It doesn't get frazzled until the end. <laughs> until the end. Maybe it shows that like they weren't exerting lots of energy in this one. It was, like you said, typical Hogan match for the era. A lot of fun. Just a dumb, dumb brawl. Yeah, and that's what you want. That's what you want. There's some weird chair shots as well from a big, chunky old chair, the big <laughs> yellow one. And Piper bites, he bites Hogan's nose, he's eye-gouging, he's fish-hooking. There's a lot of scratching, eye-poking and gouging in this match. Then, very strange, Sting and Macho Man come out. Did you think it was fake Sting for a little bit? I did, because of the, sh- the hair and it didn't look like Sting's it face. It didn't look like Sting, did it? No, no. I thought it was fake Sting and I thought, oh, is he going to turn on Macho? I couldn't remember what happened. Hmm. So, look... It- Sting and Macho come out. All of a sudden, Sting decides, nah, not for me, this. <laughs> and then decides to go back. I know. After beating people up, you know, the last or like a couple of shows ago, this one, he was like, nah, I'll see you later. And he leaves Macho to walk to the ring. Yeah, it's like, it's a no from me. Not tonight. Not tonight. Yeah. And he even tells Macho, look, I'm, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good today. And the, the, the commentators even point out like, oh my God, he's like, what's he... Like, he's which side are they on? Anyway, so then... Hogan gets put into a submission, mm-hmm. passes out, passes out, and we get the fake celebration of Roddy Piper has won the WCW Championship. And this time they made sure to mention this mm-hmm. is for the title, unlike Starcade. Crowd goes ballistic. Mm. They are losing it. Macho Man has then pulled, Macho Man, who's on Team WCW, I should point out, has pulled Hogan's feet under the rope. Mm. They have to restart the match, but... In that time when they're restarting the match, he's given brass knuckles out of his jacket, which seems to have taken too long to find, (laughs) puts it in Hogan's hand, Hogan knocks out Piper, pins him, and then retains the title. Yeah, I thought there was a little bit of foreshadowing from Randy Savage here, though, who was covered in head to toe in black and white. Black and white, yes. (laughs) He should have worn some colourful stuff, maybe, but anyway, what do I know? Um, 
Yeah, so this is the point where Randy Savage throws in with the NWO and joins them. And he becomes a great part of the NWO. Look, there's a big chunk of the rise of other W's. Like, for example, the Macho Man-DDP rivalry Mm. probably wouldn't have happened if if Macho didn't go into the NWO. It's strange, but... Like it's it's a the the mega powers are reunited, mm. but that that reaction sums it up. The crowd is so flat after this. Yeah, I kind of hated it just because it was like ah uh, two in a row with Piper. You saw the reaction at Starcade. Starcade '96 did big business too. Like you say what you want, but the crowd loved seeing Piper and Hogan go at it mm. again. Why didn't Piper just win this one for a night and then just you can do the on, foot thing do it, or, or something? Or do it on Nitro or something where it gets rid of it. But yeah, the crowd is so flat at the end of it. Absolutely yeah. demoralized. Savage and Hogan then, like, Savage gives Piper a bunch of flying elbow drops. Hogan does a bunch of leg drops. And it's just like, a, it's second verse, same as the first. And it ends just on a really sour note. The, crowd, the crowd's not throwing garbage, so they don't hate it. It's too much. I think they're just annoyed. Yeah, they're just a little bit like, oh, well, it is what it is. And Sting doesn't show up. He just continues on. Yeah, they don't even chant for Sting. No. It's yeah. just like he's... They're like, oh, we don't care. <laughs> the crowd's always like, oh, well, he said he doesn't want to be part of it. <laughs> we so, won't bother him. We won't bother him. It's all good. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it ends on that sound note. The credits roll. And that's it. That's the paper you've done. Yeah, I know. It, and I... I feel like they almost undersell Macho joining the NWO. It's that so should have been the shocking part. That instead of them saying, oh my God, Macho's turned on us. They're like, oh, Piper didn't win. This is terrible. This is terrible. See you tomorrow. Here's the credits. Macho Man was the one who Hogan first leg dropped to mm-hmm. kick this all off at Bash at the Beach. Yeah. And they barely mention him. It's not seen as a big deal. It's just literally, if anything, they go back to, does that mean Sting's in the NWO? Yeah, they like, don't, they're like, hey, Macho just joined them. Yeah. It's nothing like that. It's just so bizarre. But it, it ends it on a sour note. But it was weird seeing Hogan, Macho, and DBOSI ending this pay per view, though. Yeah, because they're nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, ninety seven. Because they're sort of main eventing WrestleMania four and five together, and the SummerSlam and Survivor Series hmm. in between. It's Six weird years seeing ago. them. Six years ago, they're in WrestleMania. Uh, they're at the WrestleMania at Trump Palace, and now they're at the same uh, at the same sort of pay per view, like. It's yeah, bizarre. That is really weird. But yeah, look, it does end it on a sour note. But all in all, let's look at the paper as a whole. What did you think? Because I actually thought it was a good show. Look, I loved the way it started. I thought Malenko and Six was awesome. The Alcatraz dumb video at the start was entertaining because we've knocked WCW's production a, a lot. At least they tried they something tried creative. Something new, yep. That was good. Um, it goes downhill a little bit with the six-man... Mexican match and then Ray and Prince Ikea. But DDP and Buff is good. Eddie versus Jericho is good. The triangle tag is good. Mongo and Mongo JJ and G- is good. Yeah. Mongo the match death is match is good. good. The awesome outsiders giant Luger stuff is amazing. And Hogan Piper, Hogan dumb Piper's, brawl. Hogan Piper, look, if this match, if Starcade didn't happen, this would be a great match. Yeah. Because you'd have the emotion and all that sort of stuff. But because you've just been cheated out of a Hogan, out of a, uh, a Hogan. Um, you thought that Roddy Piper won the title a month earlier, and he didn't. Yeah. And then you thought he won it again. It's just like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if we're giving out awards, biggest scumbag of the show is Mean Gene. <laughs> so you knew it was Macho Man, did you? A threat. It wasn't like, oh, I saw Scotty Riggs talking to Bischoff. You saw Macho Man having breakfast at the Hilton 
with Hogan and Bischoff and you didn't think to alert Piper or anyone. Yeah. You were like, oh, you better call me and bloody also Scott Hudson or whoever. Does that mean that the people in WCW, oh, what's Gene's hotline going to be? Don't worry about it. We'll be right. <laughs> Should we be monitoring what he's telling these kids? That means there was some kid who called up Gene who knew it was Macho Man, but had no means to contact, no. you know, DDP and couldn't, tell him about couldn't it. Couldn't tell, couldn't put it out, put, couldn't put a tweet out or something <laughs> like that. It was just, oh, but yeah. look, all in all, I thought it was a good pay view. If we're going by MVPs, I think I'm going to have to go with... Uh, it's Lex Luger. <laughs> Get off the Lex Express cried out loud. No, I, I'm going to stay in that same vein, though. I'm going to give it to the Giant because he's an integral part of that. He makes that feel-good moment for the crowd. Mm. He's a completely different character. NWO Giant's that weird, buy the shirt. Oh, yeah. Like weird kind of, whereas he's cool, calm, collected. He's just a complete... He's a he's a he's a silent killer almost. Even years later, as Big Show, I prefer him not when he's like the angry baby face whose dad died in a car thing, or when he's the angry heel. I like calm, calm cool, collected like it, yeah. Big Show who gets fired up during a match, as he does here. I really liked his promo with Gene, and in the match, yeah, the he match, does some yeah. good stuff. Um, yeah, that that makes sense. You, you know what? You give it to Giant. I'll give it to Lex. So the WCW Tag Champs. That covers it. That covers it. The best the, part of the show. That covers it for the time being. But uh, look, this has been another great edition of Reliving the War. We've got a big episode coming up next time around because it is the granddaddy of them all, WrestleMania 13. Yeah, it's not the worst WrestleMania of all time certainly because of best. some classic <laughs> moments, but certainly not the best. Although we do come to the peak of the Sid era. As we mentioned, the unexplicable popularity of Lex in WCW. We have the parallel with Sid in WWE. And it all peaks with him main eventing WrestleMania as the WWE champion. Crazy. And then we don't see we Sid in WWE again virtually. Full stop. I think the next time we see him is against Heath Slater <laughs> in 2013. That's right. So <laughs> we've got the end of Sid uh, and we've got... Uh, some match with Brett and Austin. Yeah, I think uh, I think it something happens in there. Pretty, yeah, it might be eventful, might not be. We might enlist some help for that pay per view because it is going to be a huge one. But uh, hey, look, if you want to catch up on the archives here on Reliving the War, head to Grey Wolf's website, Facebook feed, and all their podcast feeds as well on Spotify. Just go to their website, greywolfentertainment.net. It's the best place to find it. If you want to find out what we're doing, follow Simon on Twitter, at Simon Tackler. You can follow me on Twitter, at Doc Nims. But keep your eye out on the Grey Wolf socials. There's so much more stuff there as well. Grey Wolf ENT on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On behalf of Simon, I've been Nims as all. We'll catch you next month for another edition of Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.